lost a lot of time. Like me. We can help each other with that. Hello and welcome to Lost in Sci-Fi and Fantasy. I'm your host, Leo, and today we're actually talking about something topical. We're talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. I just decided to do this on a bit of a whim. I did ever so slightly pre-plan it in the form of when I was like realizing that uh, I was going to go see the film. I was like, oh, I could do an episode on that. <laughs> it would be very tight and rushed, but I could do it. It'll be fine. You know, some of the episodes I've done are you know, recorded weeks in advance, why not do one that's literally three days before? <laughs> so as of recording right now, I watched the film this morning, and I'm getting around to actually talking about it right now. Uh, I'm going to try to keep it fairly spoiler light for the first, I don't know, I don't know, I, I, the first bit. I will try to clearly mark where the spoilers actually start in this episode. Because it's 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 new. <laughs> I don't expect everyone that might be listening to this to have actually uh, watched it. So some things I would like to get out of the way right off the bat. So something that happened the day it released is its review score was utter garbage. It was supposedly near around where Eternals uh, lays. Now... Full disclosure, I have yet to actually watch The Eternals, so I don't fully have my own opinion on whether or not The Eternals is good or bad. I really need to catch up. I'm missing three Marvel movies. I have not seen three of them. I have not seen Eternals, I have not seen Black Widow, and I have not seen Iron Man 3. They're just the Marvel movies that I have not seen yet. I will I will change that relatively soon. We'll see. <laughs> but as it stands right now, those are the three that I have not seen. The opinions I've seen on Eternals is kind of skewed. Some like it, some don't. It's also similar to the discourse that I've seen around uh, Thor Love and Thunder uh, as of recent. And personally, I liked Thor Love and Thunder. It's a little bit aimless. It's not that big of a conflict, although it kind of has a sort of grand consequences, but you don't fully feel it. But that's just in the grand tradition of Thor movies where you don't really feel the weight of, you know, the consequences of what's going on. So, you know, it's fine. <laughs> but is it as bad as Eternals? Again, I haven't watched Eternals, but I really enjoyed Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. It's good. Does it have flaws? Absolutely. For example, it is what uh, some people would call a post-it note movie. It is a movie where the central conflict could be solved with just a post-it note. In this case, the central conflict is they get stuck in the quantum realm. You've seen, you see this in the trailers, and they have to fight Kang, or Kang the Conqueror. And the problem that the film runs into is that it all could have been solved if Janet Van Dyne had just told them what had happened in the quantum realm, because then they would understand and not actively seek out the quantum realm. Instead, she played it as if there was nothing of interest there. That it was just a desolate wasteland of nothing. Which makes it, I think from a scientific perspective, you know, kind of more interesting. Because you want to know, why? Why is there nothing here? You know, you theorize that there might be stuff there, but then there's nothing there. So why? Why is that the case? So of course you're going you're gonna to want to map it out and learn stuff about it. Which Cassie... Uh, Scott's daughter does do. She 
creates this device which sends signals down into the quantum realm and relays it back to help kind of map the the quantum realm. And when Janet finds this out, she freaks out and tries to turn off the machine. And she does, but something's sent back and pulls them through into the quantum realm. So that's the central kind of conflict. And it could have been solved literally if Janet had just told them. Because the, the reason everyone was super curious is because whenever they asked her what was going on in the quantum realm, what happened and everything, she clammed up and just said nothing. She would kind of brush it off and whatnot and... That's just going to make people more curious, you know? When, when, you, when you're that evasive about it, you, you spark curiosity. So what happens is, it's not just Cassie. She does have assistance from um, Hank Pym and, and his daughter Hope. So they're all sucked in and split up into two groups. There is the Scott and Cassie group, and then the Hank, Hope, and Janet group. They're both trying to find each other, but they also both start to interact with different groups and whatnot and kind of go on their own mini-adventures while trying to, you know, solve the plot and get home. But yeah, so that, that's kind of almost as far as I can go with uh, the, the spoiler-free. Because there, there's, there's a lot of stuff that happens, but also not really. That's kind of the plot in, in a nutshell. Is it the best Marvel movie? No. Is it the worst? No. Is it slightly above the worst? Also no. It, I would say it's a relatively middle Marvel movie, maybe slightly above, because it is cool, it is interesting, it has beautiful visuals and a lot going on. But the story is weaker, I guess you could say. It, it is similar to Thor Love and Thunder in that it is technically a smaller conflict. Though, unlike Thor, Love and Thunder, they actually take their situation a lot more seriously, so it's not quite as jokey. There aren't really that many joke-side characters or anything. There's, like, one, but even they're taken fairly serious. Then, there's just kind of the impact. So, in Thor, Love and Thunder, the impact isn't quite, you know, felt. It's just this kind of inner conflict between gods, and it you don't really feel it the entire movie. Whereas with this film, you do feel the potential of where it's going. You feel the weight. And I do say, do think that you have to watch season one of Loki first before watching this film. For a number of reasons. Most of all because Kang is in it. And, you know, it'll give you some good background as to, like, his motivation for the character. Even though he does kind of reiterate his motivations in this film. Now, there... The reason it feels kind of small, and when I was first thinking of how I was going to talk about this film, it's kind of hard to avoid small jokes, because I mean, it's Ant-Man, it's Ant-Man and the Wasp, but it is a smaller scale film, it is, it, it doesn't have an impact on the wider MCU that's immediately noticeable until the end of the film, though, you know, it, it just feels more self-contained for most of the film until the end but yeah so would i recommend watching the film before i actually properly get into spoilers yeah absolutely it, it's good it introduces you to the character dynamics as they are now in a post end game you know scenario as they are beginning to enter the next phase 
and whatnot. It's definitely a beginning of phase film, just introducing you to certain elements and getting ready to kick off the big stuff. So absolutely watch it. it it's a good thing. Maybe wait for it to come out on Disney Plus if if you're feeling a bit hesitant. But I think it was really good in theaters. Oh, but there is actually one more thing I, I need to address because this is a lot of the discourse that's been going around Marvel films uh, as of late. And that is the Spy Kids 3 effect, is what a lot of people are calling it. Where a lot of the films, because of their increased use of the volume and just CGI in general, they look a bit like uh, Spy Kids 3, the, the bad CGI in Spy Kids 3. That's not... <laughs> it's a funny joke, sure, but that's not really the case. You get enveloped in the film. I, I, I was not really for one second actually taken out of the film because of the CGI. There was maybe one or two scenes where you're, you're like, eh, it's a bit awkward. Like when they're shrinking down into the quantum realm, you're like, eh, it, it's a bit, a bit weird, a bit silly, but it works. Once they're properly enveloped in the world, you're sold. It's fine. So I, I don't quite get that criticism except for the fact that, yeah, some of the CGI is going to look a bit rough because the... the the visual artists have been massively underpaid and overworked. This has been a been the case for a while now. But anyway, that out of the way, it looks fine. It's a gripping story and whatnot. We'll get a little bit more into the intricacies of it uh, starting uh, after a quick little uh, spacer for uh, the hope of a potential future uh, ad. Turns out we're not actually been we haven't been really getting ads uh, as of late. It's fine. Also, side note, I am recording this with a grand total of about three hours of sleep over 12 hours ago. So, we're rolling. <laughs> we're having a grand time. Anywho, so from this point on, we're going to go deeper into the film. Uh, we're going to go spoiler heavy, just digging on in there, get into the intricacies of the film. So, if you are waiting to watch it, Feel free to dip out now. I do recommend watching it and whatnot, so make make your decision how, how you choose. But from here on, let's get into the intricacies of Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. So the film revolves around mostly what's Janet's secret, at least for the first half. For the first half of the film, Scott and Cassie come across this band of people in the middle of nowhere... And this group of people knows that they're going to be hunted because they just appeared out of nowhere. So they need they want them gone. But the minute that Scott mentions Janet's name, they're like, oh, you shouldn't be here. They're definitely, yeah, they're almost certainly after you now. Like, Which is a, a bit of an odd thing because they, they already assumed prior that they were being hunted. But then they were like, oh, no, you're double being hunted for sure. <laughs> Now that we know that you have an association with Janet. Um, on the... I, I guess we can break it into the Ant-Man and the Wasp groups. There we go. Because um, one follows current Ant-Man. One follows the Wasp. So while the Ant-Man group is meeting this group of people. Who turns out to be like this like minor cell of freedom fighters. That have just kind of been hiding. Because they pretty much have been wiped out. Uh, we follow... The Wasp group, as they're trying to find information on where Scott and Cassie might be. 
So Janet is trying to get in contact with an old friend who was with her as part of a resistance uh, who was going up against him for like the first half of the film is all, you know, vague uh, allusions to who he is. Even though at the very beginning of the film, we're, we're kind of shown who he is because after that, you don't really see him, but anyway, all of these illusions and we meet her contact who was, uh, it, it's Bill Murray. I can't remember his character's name. It's just, it's just Bill Murray. It, he plays a character that Janet was in a resistance with against Kang and they had a relationship and it is technically only heavily alluded at, but almost it's like, just, like just, just bordering explicitly stated that they had sex. They, they f fully went to bone town. It, it's used with the like hand wavy. I have needs, you know, talking to which hank says yeah you know I, I have needs to it was this person uh it didn't work out she wasn't you you know a nice little touching moment between you know a husband and wife that had been separated for 30 years it, it was bound to happen um but her contact betrays them he had gotten wealthy and become like this this i don't know i guess you could call him kind of like a mayor or something which is it's kind of very obvious because of the way that they were talking about him. Like, oh, you know, it's a he was a freedom fighter and whatnot. And then he comes out in this lavish ship with all this extravagant shit. And it's like, oh, he, he sold he sold them out. He's he's given up. He's not fighting the fight anymore. He's just he's just part of the the the, the bad guys now. And he, he tells them that, yeah, um yeah, you're you're going he, he already knows where they are. I heard about them, but he heard about them first. I don't know where they are, but he's sending the hunter after them. So they're probably dead by now. And then, while trying to arrest Jan Janet and Team Wasp, he gets his shit absolutely rocked. They steal his ship and start trying to make their way towards Scott and Cassie. Meanwhile, with Team Ant-Man, they are just trying to figure out what's going on. They drink this goo that helps them understand what's what's going on around them. And that's when he mentions Janet. They start freaking out, and then an attack comes on. Then the leader of this group pretty much tries to pin the blame on them, even though, again, they know nothing. They have no idea what's going on. D don't be so mad at them. <laughs> they just got here. They don't know what's going on. They don't know that what all this they're being hunted means. But the hunter... Turns out to be Modok, mechanical organism designed only for killing. Modok. He is actually, I believe it's David Cross from the first Ant-Man film, Yellow Jacket. He he comes back, and it turns out that when Scott um, squished him by breaking his suit, he was banished to the quantum realm uh, and massively deformed. Kang found him and put him back together. You know giving him new purpose. They get captured, taken to Kang, because Kang needs him for a very specific and weird reason. So, flashback. <laughs> Back in the past, when Janet was alone, she, she was just kind of like living a farm life, I guess, she noticed something crash. And you see this at the very beginning of the film. And it was Kang. He had a ship capable of not only getting them out of there, but 
going between multiverses. She helps him repair his ship over a long period of time, and it turns out that his ship is controlled by his mind. A neat idea. But when she touches the ship, she gets a look into his mind and finds out that he is King the Conqueror, who has been pruning timelines. He has been going through timeline after timeline, destroying them and everyone in them as if they had never happened. And this you know, obviously horrifies her. And he doesn't really get much of a chance to explain because she's just full 180s. It goes from, yeah, I'm helping you to no. He, he just tried to explain to her that, you know, because she helped him, he intends to, you know, help her get her home and make it to where... And make it to where pretty much her visit to the quantum realm pretty much never happened. And her world would be safe. But she doesn't trust him. Takes his power source and sort of destroys it. She she enlarges it using like four like little enlarging discs. And it's it just kind of it blows up, but it's just like locked there. In this as this huge thing. So what Kang wants is for Scott to dive into the center of the power source and shrink it back down so that he can use it as a power source again. And Scott agrees after some extreme persuasion, I guess you could say. And so he dives in, experiences all these uh, like variants of himself, including one that's just him, who a version of him that still worked at Baskin Robbins. It's a cute thing. It was fun. And while doing this, Team Wasp picks up Scott's signal, uh, and she dives into the power source to try and rescue him. He gets close, tries to enlarge it, but it doesn't work. Then she comes and saves him. They are both able to um, sh like shrink it back down together, and boom, power source is restored. Kang goes back on his word for some reason. It it's... Not really explained why he does. I mean, I, I get that he's kind of, he's still upset with, like, Janet and whatnot, but it's very weird because the whole point, the whole reason that Scott agreed is that Kang was essentially holding his daughter hostage. And when Scott has the power source, Janet's telling him, hey, you should, you should, you know, give it to me. And Kang's like, well, give it to me. But Scott says, well, where's Cassie? And then Kang just goes, she's better off without you. And then, and then, like, shoos him away and takes the power source, leaves. Team Wasp's ship gets destroyed by MODOK, and, and then they're stranded. But uh, some super intelligent ants that had fallen in with them um, have been busy working on technology and stuff. Come help repair the ship and give them a bit of a... A battle plan to go against Kang. It, it's a bit far-fetched, but it, it works in the context of the film. And it, it's actually something that's sort of hinted at uh, earlier in the film. When uh, Janet's friend, or ex-slash-ex-resistance co-friend, whatever. Uh, when he asks, do we have ants here? Is, is that something that we have here? And uh, Hank Pym says, uh, no. No, nah, you don't really have it here. Uh, and Bill Murray's character is like, oh, he's a bit disappointed. But the ants, the ants, 
the ants are now there. They, they weren't, but now they are. It's a fun old time. <laughs> so, back at the stronghold, Cassie tries to escape and technically succeeds. She runs around, helps break out the resistance people that sh uh, her and her dad had met, uh, and starts kind of staging a bit of a, a revolution. So she overrides their comm systems and broadcasts a message telling them that if you're going to fight, now is the chance. If he's not, you know, impervious, you can take him down. You know, pretty much bum rush him. Get him. <laughs> so that happens. Uh, Scott grows big and <laughs> starts to charge uh, Kang's tower. And it goes decently well until, you know, he scrambles his fighters and then the wasp comes in and tries to help him. But they get a little bit overwhelmed until, boom, the resistance comes in, you know. And it's a wave of, why? And they're able to kind of push through. Cass is constantly now fighting uh, Modoc and whatnot. And she also enlarges to just, like, crush him and just, like, beats the shit out of him. And her message to him is pretty much just, just don't be a dick. Like, you don't have to do this. And he says, well, I mean, I kind of already am. Like, it's a bit too late. And she's like, it's never too late to not be a dick. <laughs> so just don't. And then she leaves to go help her dad. But he's doing fine. He uh, cannonballs into the shield slash generator thing that Kang's trying to use to teleport his army out of the quantum realm. Because he had built an empire there and he wants to bring it with him. And his whole message to, like, Janet at this point is, well, it's going to be much worse now. <laughs> like, it, it could have just been me. You should have let me go when it was just me. But now it's me and a whole ass army. <laughs> but they destroy that. Uh, Kang gets super butt hurt, Goes, starts to quell the rebellion himself. But then Hank comes in with a reinforcement of ants and their thing and just swarm. Swarm Kang. And it works. Uh, except for Kang brings up a shield. Modok comes in saying that he doesn't want to be a dick. And destroys the shield. The ants overrun Kang. Drag him away. They go use the power source that had been kind of knocked off its thing to recalculate and pinpoint their signal and they're ready to go home they all get through except for except for scott who gets you know last minute bad guy uh reappearance he gets attacked by kang who is also trying to get in to the portal and he fights him with all of his power and whatnot getting saved last second by hope and they uh, Scott puts uh, just a mixture of the the little disc things that both grow and shrink onto the power source. Pretty much just stating, I don't have to win. We both just have to lose. So he does that. The power source starts going mad. Hope comes in, saves him. But, you know, it's a bit too late by now. And the power source sucks in Kang and the portal closes. So now they're stuck in the quantum realm. For all of, like, two minutes. <laughs> That's probably the thing that annoyed me the most, is they were stuck in the quantum realm for, like, two minutes. Like, there, there were so many cool possibilities that would have made it a little, just a little bit more emotionally impactful, but they decided not to go for it. Because, two like again, like I said, two minutes later, they're, they're they're holding each other. They're they're happy. They're elated. 
they they look out over the revolution as they they've they've succeeded they've won and you're sitting there like oh, okay so they're just kind of surveying now they're, they're just taking stock of their situation but no then it cuts to Cass as she's zeroing in on their location opens a quick portal and then it cuts to Scott walking down the street buying a birthday cake everything's fine <laughs> and that that yeah the way the thing I well here let me just kind of wrap it up real quick the the thing that was kind of neat with that ending though before I get into how I think it kind of would have been a little bit better if they ended it a different way was that Scott is questioning he's actually like thinking like did we do the right thing did we actually win because that's kind of the the thing going through he seems to be the only like fully vocal avenger it would seem having like written his uh written of like autobiography about how he helped save the world and whatnot but it's just a bit silly but he, he he's you know all happy-go-lucky his daughter's a bit disappointed in him because he hasn't really done anything since then like he's not using his power to do anything he's not saving people he's not he's not doing any good quote unquote but he's just happy that he was able to help save the world so he's he's content with leaving it at that but at the same time she's not happy with that there's a lot of things going on and she just doesn't she's not happy about it so there's that but now that they have done something and they did help like a a, re a revolution and whatnot and everything she's more content but now he's uneasy because he's not sure what they did was actually the right thing because king had mentioned that he if he wasn't let go if he didn't succeed things much worse were to come more of him now for those of you who had watched or have watched the first season of loki this is kind of the same exact thing that Kang states at the end of Loki is that by killing him and not taking over, they're going to unleash more of him. So it's just kind of like restating the same thing and taking a whole movie to do it. But, you know, it, it's fine. It works. Uh, and with the context of Loki, you, you now see, oh, it's happened twice now. Like, like, at the end of Loki, because Loki is the version of Kang that succeeded in making a singular timeline. Where the Kang in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is a Kang that hasn't yet. He was on his way to do it, but he got exiled. So the Kang that we see in Loki is a different Kang, but at the same time, it's the same Kang with the same goal, just with a different outcome. Uh, I guess you could say it, it, it's one of his variants of that specific version of him that just 
technically failed. You know, this could be him... So, let's just run through it real quick. Kang and Loki gets killed. Right? Which then creates the multiverse, or lets the multiverse go, leading to multiple Kangs coming out again. Including the Kang that was just killed in Loki. So now that Kang needs to work his way back to maintaining a singular timeline. But the other Kangs catch on to this and exile him. And so, boom, there, there's a, a difference. And it was obviously made a lot harder as this new Kang that's trying to do a singular timeline has like these <clears throat> parallel scars running down his face. Very cool look, by the way. Uh, don't know how he got them, but he has them. Where the Kang in Loki does not. So, there's that. But, yeah. <laughs> so, Scott, throughout the like final like three minutes of the film, is pondering, are we okay? Is everything going to be okay? Knowing that the answer is, for now, yeah, it's probably fine. But likely, not for long. <laughs> Which then leads to the two post-credit scenes. Uh, the first one is three Kangs um, are talking, saying that the exiled one is dead, and he says one of them says to them, I guess you could say main one, "You're just annoyed that it wasn't you that killed him," and he said. None of us killed him. They did. They're starting to notice the multiverse. And as they're noticing the multiverse, they're going to start messing with our plans. So then another one asks, So then how many of us have you called? And he says, All of us. And it's just this big, like, stadium thing, just filling with more and more Kangs. And it, it it's really cool seeing like all the different Kangs and whatnot. That's fun. Then the second post credit scene is kind of a either a clip from or just a teaser for season two of Loki. As it's Loki and uh Mobius watching this uh, according to a, a thing I read online it said 1920s, but it, it looked older than 1920s, if you know what I mean. But, basically, it's a snake oil salesman Kang, uh, who's pretty much trying to sell time travel, <laughs> from the sounds of it. it. It's silly and weird. Um, but, Mobius is like, so that's the guy? He doesn't look, you know, as terrifying as you say he is. And Loki's just like, nah, he, he is. He's like super, he's, it, mm, it's not good, man. <laughs> so, and then it cuts and it says, Kang will return. So that's, that's the film. And I, I, I liked that they were questioning, like, is what we did right? Or at least Scott was. He's like, did we do the right thing by not letting him go? 
Because the thing about Kang is he, at least the ones that want a singular timeline, do seem to be honest with everything that they, you know, are about. The Kang in Loki states, like, hey, if I die, millions of me are going to just come and wreck shit. And I will end up back here in the end doing this again. Where, and and so far, it seems to be true. Loki and Sylvie didn't fully trust him. I mean, Loki trusted him more than Sylvie, obviously. But, you know, it was a question of, we can't fully know, you know? It's one of those gray areas where you're not fully sure if they're telling the truth or not. Where, as this Kang was also fairly honest, it would seem, as he talks about how he wanted he wanted to do a singular timeline. Janet was super against it because, you know, of course. <laughs> but he states that he had to become that in order to accomplish his goal of a singular timeline. To destroy them and get his revenge on the other Kangs for whatever they did. Something that we probably might not find out until the Kang Dynasty film. Which, mm, or maybe we might learn it in the Fantastic Four film. I don't know. I, we, we, we won't know until future films. In fact, I don't even know what the next film is. Is it the Marvels? No, it's Guardians of the Galaxy 3. We haven't seen anything of the Marvels yet. <laughs> it's Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Which I am quite excited for. That one seems like it's going to be a mostly centralized deal. You know, nothing too out there like most of the guardians films they're they're kind of not fully connected at all <laughs> which is kind of annoying but also it, it works because it means that you know it doesn't feel like a fairly toned down movie until the very end when you're like oh what are the ramifications of this in the end <laughs> you know where Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, you're able to get into the film as its own thing for most of it. And it's it's pretty good. So we'll see how that, that goes. Anyway. <laughs> so the ending that I think would have been more impactful. The way it was feeling in the moment as you're watching the final fight between Scott and Kang. Is you feel that Scott's going to die. He's able to land blows on Kang. But you can tell that Kang is punching much harder than Scott is. So, while he is hitting Kang, Kang is hitting back with much more um, efficiency. And you can see Scott just l- losing. <laughs> That's where his, his I don't have to win, we both have to lose line would have a lot more impact if Scott succeeded in trapping them both in the quantum realm. With Kang no longer having his power suit, and Scott um, technically, at that point, being slightly more advantaged than Kang in power levels, 
it would be a more noble thing, even though Scott would likely still have gotten his ass kicked to Kingdom Come. <laughs> but the whole the whole reason that like Kang was able to build his empire is because Janet, having given him the power source uh, originally, pretty much led to him being able to regain his uh, armor. And that armor is what gave him the power to conquer the world, even though he couldn't escape it. <clears throat> so with his suit gone, things would kind of become a bit more even until he somehow maybe made a new suit. Which, you know, is a possibility. But I think it would have been nobler if Scott maybe died. It would have at least had more impact than the the fight ended up having. But overall, the way it ended is still okay. But there's a second ending that I think would have worked much better still. Is since uh, Hope came in and saved Scott, but it ultimately resulted in the portal closing, it would have been much more impactful if they were both stuck there. You know? <laughs> I just think that it would have been just, just an itsy-bitsy uh, more impactful if they were both stuck there. At least for longer than two minutes like maybe wait until the next film or something to bring them back something <laughs> because one what was cassie locking on to because it's revealed in the film that the reason that she was actually getting a signal back at all was because modok and kang noticed her signal and sent stuff back like they locked onto her signal and sent stuff back to trace them. You know, it was a, you know the good old classic reverse trace deal. Um. And in this case, anything that they could have possibly locked onto, I believe, was destroyed. So technically, it doesn't fully make sense that she just immediately relocked on. And I, I don't know it. <laughs> It's just one of the annoyances because I felt it would have had more impact if either just Ant-Man or Ant-Man and the Wasp were both stuck. For a bit, at least. Some more amount of time than two minutes. Like, maybe they got stuck and they built a rapport with the people and whatnot and were able to help them build a new society and everything post-Kang. I don't know, something. Hell, wait until the post credit scene to, like, have it jump X amount of time ahead where they've helped rebuild the society a bit and then get them back. Just more more than just them standing around waiting for two minutes for them to, oh, we just have to relock on and whatnot. I, I don't know. It just... Mm. Though, I will admit, it was hinted at earlier in the film. You know, there was some good foreshadowing. Because she states at the beginning of the film when she's unveiling this project uh, to her dad that the reason that she wanted to build it is because if she had had this when he was stuck in the quantum realm, he she might have been able to find him sooner. But, you know, of course she didn't, so she built it now. And, of course, she then does the thing that she said at the beginning of the film. 
so again this this movie has some decent foreshadowing and, and technical technically uh, paying off that foreshadowing but at the same time it ruins some of the impact of the ending a little bit but it was again <laughs> I'm, I'm saying again again a lot <laughs> but it was made up for a bit with Scott's apprehension of whether or not their victory was really a victory but anyhow <laughs> yeah so <laughs> overall it again it's a good film it's not the best marvel film it's not anywhere near the worst marvel film how often will i be doing episodes like this not very anyhow so next week is jedi fallen order and yeah <laughs> that should do us for this uh this episode uh first topical one uh the next potentially topical one might be dungeons and dragons when that comes out uh maybe indiana jones uh, when that comes out uh we'll see <laughs> anyway <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening i will talk to you guys next week goodbye <laughs>